0: Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Today on the program, I am joined by Susan Bierman. Nice thing about Susan being on the podcast, which is really going to be a treat, is there is a... Strong connection that we have in our careers that can only exist between her and I. And that is this is that we both ran marketing at Ellie May at just two different periods. And today on the program, Susan, you know, your career journey, uh, my career journey, growing up, moving into marketing and rising through the ranks and eventually becoming head of marketing is a story that I would love to talk about with you. Because I think so many people, no matter what stage they are in their career, they are always looking to advance, whether that's advance in their role or to climb all the way to the top of the ladder in in marketing. And so thank you for joining me. How are you?
1: I'm great. Thank you so much, David, for inviting me. What a pleasure.
0: It is a treat to have you. I'm looking forward to it. First, I have to ask you, where are you quarantined these days? Where's Where's home uh, for you?
1: I am in Pleasanton, California. I've been working in Portland area, Portland, Oregon. Uh, but once we got to shelter in place, I decided to pull up stakes and shelter down here uh, in, in California.
0: Well, that's, that's, I, it's a better call. I don't know if it's the best call because it, we've all been suffering from the air quality. Portland, they announced this morning, today, today is on the day of recording, uh, September 15th, and they announced that Portland is the worst air quality in the world. Uh, and one of our employees, uh, Shauna, who leads our customer success team, her son was not handling the smoke inhalation at all and, the, and wound up getting hospitalized uh-huh. earlier this week. So it, it strikes close to home when a member of your team is, is really suffering. Uh, yeah. But we're down in Pleasanton. Maybe we'll throw on our mask and come come see each other because we are only about 10 minutes away. We I, it out.
1: I welcome that. and We'll have a, a glass of wine or two together.
0: That would be awesome. We've done that before. I missed that. Yes. Let's start off. I'm going to do a lightning round on my career um, and my path to Ellie May. As I said to all of you guys, um, we both ran marketing at Ellie May. I was head of marketing in the era from 2003 to 2007, right before I started Demand Gen. And it was at Ellie May where I brought in marketing automation for the very first time. Turn the website from really a brochure to a lead generation machine, aligned and integrated sales and marketing processes, uh, and did a tremendous amount that we can talk about maybe today or another time. But the point is that when I joined Ellie May, they never really had a head of marketing that was so focused on driving revenue and demand generation. So that was, you know, an interesting point for the company. They were launching their first software applications, and my experience earlier in my career, lent itself extremely well to being their head of marketing. And then also launched their first ever user conference, which that was a stretch for me, Susan. I had never done a multi-day out of town user conference and new skills for me. But as I said, to kind of start on my path there, what took me there, very quick soundbite. I started my career at Microsoft. I started my career in Microsoft at the US sales and marketing division. I was primarily on the sales team, but in that era, in 1988, we were bringing forward the first Windows products and Windows 95 and those those applications. So it was a very groundbreaking um, time in technology, and so I was really more of an evangelist than I was a salesperson. I never took an order, ever. It was about getting aerospace companies, entertainment companies, basically all of Southern California Uh, and then eventually the Southwest to adopt these technologies. And I had graduated with with a degree in in marketing and computer science. So this was my path. I wanted to be in marketing, Susan. But my professor told me, uh, as I wrote about in my book, that if you want to be a great marketer, you got to understand why people buy. So start your career in sales. And being on the Microsoft U.S. sales and marketing team was phenomenal. I then went to a company called Fairlawn, and I actually was their Southwest regional sales manager. I was promoted, uh, and in 1991, took the job as the Northwest Regional Sales Manager, still in sales, but that was my, mainly because my dad said, and Dave, if you want to advance your career and get into marketing, you got to go work at a headquarters, because if you don't have exposure to the other leaders in the organization on a day-to-day basis, and potentially even the board, it's going to limit your career growth. Great advice from dad. And so my wife and I moved to Northern California, and I spent the next several years leading sales and then into channel marketing. So channel marketing was still reported up to the head of sales, Susan, but it was actually marketing. I was writing copy for mail order catalogs. I was doing um, brochures and, and content with our channel partners. And so I started to get my foot into marketing. And then what happened, Susan, was is Ken Lamnick, the head of sales and marketing, promoted me to director of marketing. And I think at that time I was like, 24, 25 years old, really early in my career. And a year later was promoted to VP of marketing. And not many people know this story, but, and maybe it relates to your journey is when I was promoted to director of marketing, remember I rose up the ranks of sales and I kind of was dabbling in marketing by doing channel marketing, but I wasn't in the marketing department. So now a male leader brings in a male to run marketing of which the entire department, except for one person, was all women. And it was a very challenging time for me because I had to prove myself that this wasn't just about the boys club and a position that I was given because I was another guy. Because let me tell you, that's what the comments were in the hallway. How could this guy possibly run marketing when that's not his background in our career? Why wasn't you know one of the marketing managers promoted and, you know, it's a longer story for why that happened, but I had very much imposter syndrome at that point. I'm like, wow, I'm in a role that I don't perceive to be deserved, and I got to prove myself. And this was at the very same time that the internet comes to be. And, web you know, companies didn't have websites. And because of my technology background, Susan, and my sales and marketing experience, I was really perfect for the role and transform that company. Like I said, in a year became VP of marketing. We took the company public in 1996. I'm now in my mid to late twenties, learning things that I never thought I would be exposed to so young in my career. And then, you know, just to wrap up with my journey is I, in 1999, did a startup. My wife thought, Hey, people should be able to talk over the internet as in you should, because you play video games at night with my brother. And you tie up the phone line. So if you could figure out a way to talk on the computer, that would be good. I'm like, that's a great idea. So I did a startup and sold the company a year later. And then I landed at Ellie May. went back into B2B. So I had a tenure in marketing and business development for about 13 years before I landed at Ellie May. And, you know, through that through that course, my journey, I just developed tremendous experience in both the art and science of marketing, the technology side of marketing, and, and brought that in there. Uh, when I left to start DemandGen in 2007, a few years later in 2012, you became chief marketing officer and and carried the baton from there uh, forward. And now, as you know, Jonas Mo is the chief marketing officer. So that's my career journey. And, and what you guys are hopefully hearing is You know, it was there were times when I had, like I said, imposter syndrome and given opportunities that my resume didn't afford me. And you just have to kind of fake it until you make it and persevere and demonstrate that that was the right decision. And I'd love for you to contrast your journey, Susan, see if we have any other connections and and sentiments and feelings besides leading marketing at Ellie Mae.
1: Well, first of all, we have more connections than I realize. So thank you for that. I don't know that we've ever shared our, our career journeys together. And um, so there's a, a, a several different tie ins here. And um, I started my career in sales. So fresh out of college, I, um, I had an internship with IBM during my senior year in college, and then they hired me and I went through their training program and I sold for IBM for the first six years of my career. So um and and like you I I found that that experience was invaluable. I think it's helped me be uh, a much better marketer because I understand what it's like to be on quota. I understand what it's like uh, to ask for the order and to handle objections in real time um, you know, without any preparation. so it was a great a great start um, to the career and then, You know, you and I never talked about this, but I also um, worked at Microsoft. So my very first marketing job was with Microsoft. And I, uh, I was, you know, I was one of these typical... Uh, salespeople who thinks that marketing's easy and that, of course, I could do marketing. And I ended up uh, at Microsoft doing channel marketing, ironically, and I had no idea what I was doing. So talk about imposter syndrome. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And by the way, everybody else that they were hiring at the time was, you know, Harvard, Wharton, uh, MBAs. And, you know, I had a degree from UCSB, go Gauchos. So I ha- felt very inferior um, but what I brought to the table was uh, that sales experience and knowing how to um, sell to corporate accounts. And at the time, my particular job was how do we, as a Microsoft, a, a microcomputer company at the time, a personal computer company, you know, crack into the to the enterprise. And so, you know, and, and talk about a great learning ground. I mean, I was at Microsoft for, I believe, six years and I was a sponge and I purposely um, my path was to switch jobs every year, and and to learn um, a new skill set and to broaden my um, my skills and experience. Uh, and and each time I did that, it was, you know, it was scary, you know, because I didn't know that new function. And so it took a lot of um, self motivation and, and pushing myself. Uh, to take on those new challenges, and I, I think if there's any any one bit of uh, advice I would give to um, anyone, particularly new in their career, is you need to push beyond your comfort zone. And sometimes you can be your own worst enemy if you hold yourself back. Um, then I then I, I I switched jobs and I went to Netscape, and uh, the the story there was I. My daughter had been born in in 1995, and uh, I took a four month maternity leave, which during that time was like being away for 40 years. I came back, and it, the internet had taken off, and I was like, "What is this internet thing?" And uh, and all I was hearing about was this new company called Netscape, and it had you know just gone an IPO, and so I had you know very good mentor of mine who. Um, had mentored me through my career at IBM, and he called me out of the blue one day and said, I wanted to come work for me at Netscape. And it was a sales role. And I'm like, well, I don't do sales. I, I'm a marketer now. And so one thing led to another, and I ended up at Netscape and, and building out a field marketing organization for them. So it was kind of this great hybrid of working with, very directly with sales, but also doing marketing. Um, and then after a spell, I, I, I decided it was time for my first IPO, um, excuse me, my first startup. Uh, and um, I was recruited by the same mentor, ironically, into Commerce One, which um, was a very small company at the time, 60 employees. And it was my first opportunity to be a VP of marketing and talk about being terrified. I'm like, I didn't really have that experience. I had never worked for a startup. I would never worked in B2B e-commerce. I had never led a marketing team of that size. Um, and that was a, a rocket ship. You know, it was one of those IPOs um, that, that happened, my first IPO. And it was just a tremendous stretch, um, but such a tremendous journey. And I am um, dear, dear friends to the people that I worked with um, at that company to this day. Um, and then from there, I really, you know, made the switch to B2B enterprise software, you know, including Taleo and lead marketing when they went IPO and then eventually Ellie May, where uh, there was somebody in between us. Uh, so from 2012 till just last year, I was at Ellie May and helped them grow from a hundred million to half a billion uh, in revenues. Um, and they were, they were publicly traded and then went private and, and then they just sold again, so now they're a part of a, a bigger publicly traded company. So great, a great um, company and a, a great uh, journey there. Uh, but last year, I decided to switch and I, I joined a company called Navex Global, and it's a you know B two B enterprise software company as well, um, based in um, or- Oregon. And um, and that's just been a tremendous experience. And and they're PE back, so this is my first time now working for a PE owned company. Uh-huh. Yeah. Other than the short time um, at Ellie May. And so just learning about, you know, so I've worked for VC company, VC-backed companies. I've worked for now a PE-backed company. I've worked for, um, you know, early stage startups and obviously very well-established public companies. So it's been a really rich career. Um, and I just pinched myself that I've had, you know, this great journey. And it, it continues. And um, I never get bored. There's nothing boring about it. Every day is different has a new challenge. I mean, certainly we're all challenged beyond belief right now with COVID and figuring out how to, um, you know, keep, keep things afloat, keep the teams motivated and cared for mm-hmm. um, mentioned the fires in Oregon. My team is just, Suffering right now, you know, the majority of them are in the Oregon area. So, um, you know, there's, you know, it's just trying to keep the, keep the ship going and keep people engaged and motivated and cared for and supported during some really tough times.
0: When you think about the, the move that you made right in that, you know, 2010 period from being a VP of marketing to CMO, what's, what would you say is the difference in terms of either skill set, capabilities, duties, you know, in that area between a VP and a CMO? Because for me, um, especially early on in my career, they didn't really have the chief marketing officer right. title. It was, it was, it didn't exist, um, which in some cases that was so, almost like a, uh, marketing making a, a real stance about we deserve a seat at the leadership table um, because marketing evolved over time and and didn't really originally. It was seen much more as a cost center and not a strategic driver of growth for businesses. Clearly, that's changed. And now I would say one of the lead drivers of growth, uh, if not the lead driver of growth. So the CMO title came to be, and we've also seen so many CEOs, uh, including myself, come from the CMO role. Uh, And I've done a podcast episode quite a ways back with John around, you know, as tomorrow CEO, today's uh, CMO. So for you, what's, what would you say if you were to kind of describe the differences between them?
1: Yeah, I think, I think there's a couple of key differences. One is, you know, you know, like, like the two of us, you know, we've we've come, you know, up through the ranks as, as most CMOs do. And, and, um, you know, you you go from being a, a marketing specialist, or you know, you you have a specific skill set that's you know deep in, in in a particular area of marketing, and then you need to, of course, then broaden beyond that, right? So jumping jumping roles between different departments is is part of it, so that you're not just you're not just a demand generator, you're not just a comms person. Or, or whatever that you are a combination of, of the two, and I think um, you know. So one of the key things is that you're becoming less of a doer, although I think we all still do work, hands-on work, and you know, we're contributors. But you become more of an orchestrator, right? Mm-hmm. And so you 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 go up from maybe you're the best violinist to being a conductor of a bunch of different um, you know instruments and, and, and musicians. And the key is um, you can have a, a great group of musicians, but if you don't have them um, orchestrated well together, it will sound like like you know not very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you know, and if you are a really good conductor, you can bring out the best in people and have them playing together in a way that makes beautiful music and, and, and delivers great results. So, so that's one thing. And, and part of that too, is, um, is hiring really good people. And there's, there's something that, you know, I hear time and time again, you know, from recruiters or, or maybe people who are interviewing candidates to say, Oh, they're overqualified. It's like, and what's your point? I mean, I'll hire overqualified people all day, every day, as long as they're willing uh, to do the particular job. Um, and I will hire people who are, and, uh, and I do, way smarter at me and way more skilled in a particular area mm-hmm. um, because I I need people to fill the gaps that I have. We all have strengths and we all have gaps. And we all, um, based on your current stage of growth or whatnot, there's certain skill sets that you, you need to bring to your orchestra in order to capitalize on those opportunities. Um, So, so that's another thing. And then I think maybe, maybe one of the most important things is you've got to stop talking like a marketer and you've got to stop, start talking like a business person. And so when you're speaking with your peers at the executive level, or, you know, ultimately you're presenting to the board, the way you talk about what you're doing, you really have to make a dramatic shift. And, you know, you don't want to be the person talking marketing speak. Now, yes, you are the marketing expert in the room, but you need to tie it to what your activities and investments are to the corporate goals and to the growth objectives of the company. So, um, you know, and I think, you know, because you and I both came from sales initially, we really get um, how important growth is and how important marketing is to delivering ultimately revenue. I mean, that's what it's all about. It's not about getting an award for a great marketing program, although that's nice. Um, It's really about how are you contributing to driving and growing the business and your leadership within whatever your given market is. So um, so I think that's big.
0: How did you develop those skills? I mean, you have a background in economics. That's what you studied in your undergrad, and then you went on to a grad program at Stanford. How did you learn to, to talk in the boardroom?
1: Well, I think uh, it, it doesn't come easily or naturally, right? And so I think it's it's partially um, experience. It's partially um, honing your skills. It's partially um, having people that you trust give you honest feedback and, and inviting them to do so. So I, you know, I really struggled you know earlier um, and, and actually fairly far into my career with presentation skills this is just not something that I enjoyed doing it's not something I liked doing it wasn't something I was terribly good at and I knew that and I knew that that was something I needed to overcome and of course it was so scary that my natural tendency was I'm just going to avoid doing that and of course you've realized well that's going to hold you back and so um, you know, I got some career, I got some speak, uh, some coaching and I, um, I had a couple of people, one actually who worked for me and one was a peer of mine. Um, and anytime I presented, I would say, I'm, I'm going to come to you afterwards. I'm going to ask you for feedback. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that's a really, um, humbling thing to do. Right. And you're admitting your weakness to people, um, that maybe you don't want to, know that you have a weakness. <laughs> and uh and that was really, really great. And I got to the point where I didn't dread it, where I actually looked forward to it and I enjoyed it. Um so so that's that's one thing. And you know just learning how to fight the nerves, right? And and how to create a good story arc that that's somewhat entertaining. Um,
0: I want to let you continue, Susan. I just want to add for those folks That struggle with the same thing or have a fear of public speaking, I encourage you to go listen to the podcast that I did with Michelle Killebrew, who we work with at PwC. And she put the challenge out there, Susan, to go do a TED Talk, set that as a goal for herself, had a huge fear of public speaking, but then, you know, pulled off a TED Talk to conquer that fear and get her ready. Because it's kind of like if you can, that's like climbing Everest of talks, right? So if you can do something like that, you're going to certainly feel a lot more. Uh, comfortable in it. I um, want to let you continue, but I do want to ask you, in terms of that, learning the talk, Like I remember literally going to the bookstore. I think it was a Barnes and Nobles when I got that promotion to director of marketing and buying like five books on marketing because I was like, shit, I'm going to be in these meetings and there's going to be terms and things that come up right. that I may not know. I remember, you know, this is this is a pretty funny one. I remember the term hearing CTA for the first time and writing it down on a notepad and going, "I got to go look up what that means because I have no idea what what that what that acronym was that they just and like countless times in my career, like EBITDA in the boardroom, like okay, I'm, I don't even like E E E. Well, I don't know what they said, but I'm gonna go look that up. And so, you know, you learn and you do. You you have these feelings throughout your career, like. I don't know if I deserve the seat that I have or the role that I have. And I've coached my daughters too. And it comes up, Susan, as they've applied for, you know, their first positions out of college, they said, you know, I don't really know much about that company and what it does. I'm like, you're not expected to, you know, like especially early on in your, in your career. So I mean, we are all, we're, we're in an age where technology is advancing so quickly. All right. AI is, is, um, massive investments and acquisitions going on the AI space that is going to become an integral part of every function and every company in the years to come. And none of us have this knowledge now about AI, but we will for certain um, areas because we're going to need to apply, um, you know, things like that. I took always very easily technology. I would say like if you were to put me in a, um, a role in leading marketing again, I would lean more on the marketing operations, marketing technology side, as you know me, and uh, and not not the brand and not the messaging and not the content. I like all that stuff, and I certainly have studied neuromarketing, right. but I'm sure. going to be stronger. Like If you and I were together, we would complement each other's skills extremely well um, because of the, those passions that we have and the expertise that we have. But I think it's important for us just to all to be honest that whether you're in sales or whether you're in marketing you're going to be put into positions especially if you're a go-getter that you're not ready for and right. you have to like you said stretch yourself and put yourself and put yourself in vulnerable positions and go get help when you need a coach or support
1: yeah you're right and you know and i mean speaking of you know not knowing something and making that shift to board you need to be you need to be really familiar with financial terms and there's a lot of them. And if you are presenting at the board level, or you're sitting in a board meeting, they're talking a lot of different numbers, and you need to be conversant in that. And so, um, you know, and not not many marketers are, as they're you know younger in their career. And so, I think it's super important. And I, I just remember a CEO I worked with many years ago. He bought me he bought me a book on you know how to understand financial statements, and because um, he knew that without was a gap that I had and it was just it was a very generous and thoughtful gift I mean it may sound demeaning but I was like this is great you know and now I have I have a resource here and um, you know or you know seeking out people who are your peers in different departments to say hey you know I don't understand a lot about Your area, and I, I really want to, and to be hungry for that knowledge, and to seek it out, whether it's self study or it's your network or it's a mentor. It's just, it's just one of your peers. I think is is really important, and, um, you know. I, you know, I, I think back, you know, when I was younger in my career and I would look at somebody who was maybe five years older than me and I would think, oh, I can't wait till I'm 30 and I'll have it figured out. Well, guess what? You never have it figured out. <laughs> no matter what, you know, between, um, you, you know, if, if you're pushing yourself anyway and you're growing. Um, and as, as you mentioned, uh, the, the pace of change is is constant and it's, it's, it's accelerated even, um, even more in these times with the technological advances. I mean, you know, you and I started our careers before marketing automation was a thing and that's yep. you know, making me feel really old to admit, but um, you know, I, I um, had to figure out what that was all about once upon a time. And, and, you know, whereas I had no clue. And I think that, you know, that's, that's one of the things for anybody, no matter what stage of your career is, you need to be hungry and you need to be seeking how, how knowledge and and how can you grow and learn, um, you know, not only about technologies, but new techniques or looking at just different people's websites. I mean, it's so, it's so easy to research now with online, you um, know, with the digital world. And we need to take advantage of that. And I think that, you know, sometimes I'll, I will I will get frustrated with my team if I feel that they're too inward looking, right? And, um, you know, to, to do good marketing, you can't be inward looking. You need to be looking externally and getting your inspiration and figuring out, how can I do this new and different today? Yes, I know this worked and, and let's honor that, but how can I make it even better? And how can I evolve? So this, no, this notion of, um, continuous improvement, not only for yourself, but to set that example for your team.
0: When you coach today and lead your teams, you know, given your growth and your own personal development, do you seek out specific individuals on the team that you're coaching and, and mentoring? I had, um, the reason for asking that is I had an exchange yesterday, a text exchange with some of the guys that were part of gen, you know, going back all the way 10 years ago. And, you know, these are guys that I still work with today. Some are on the client side. One started his own business that we partner with. And uh, one one is still a member of the team in a, in a very important leadership role. But they were young boys in the beginning. You know, there's, like they have, they've grown up here, grown up alongside, and it's been phenomenal to watch their careers. And at least three of them, three of the four, I've spent a lot of time mentoring and coaching because I saw such raw potential with them that it was worth the investment to do that and i'll constantly do that with other members of my team i can't work with everybody but whether it's working with a client like you or working with you know other clients there are people that i just want to mentor and coach because they can use my skills and i you know you and i have both gotten that ourselves through our career and had those those coaches for us what do you do like in in terms of uh your approach today. I'm curious because I know a lot of people reach out to me. The context is, Dave, where can I find a mentor? I don't have a mentor. My boss is not my mentor. And so I want to give them some, some direction and some answers on where they can find people like you, people like me that are, that are willing to help develop them because they want to be developed.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think there's different paths, right? And, you know, I think through, you know, um, you know, I definitely coach and mentor people on my team. You know, I guess it's more of a, a coaching role. Um, and you know, then I'm currently mentoring somebody who I was um, matched up with, uh, who's who's a new VP of marketing at one of the the uh, portfolio companies of of one of our investors, and and I, that's just a, a wonderful experience um, because she's she's definitely at that. A juncture of, you know, was a really good practitioner and now trying to hang with the big girls and boys in the executive team and in the boardroom and, 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 you know, helping her navigate through that, that, that switch. And, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, so in that case, you know, I think that, um, you know, she had the benefit of, of, of our, our PE firm who was willing to help match her up with a mentor. You know, there's professional organizations out there where you can get a mentor as well. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I think in a way mentors sometimes overuse, like, I, um, I, I, I think that more and more, like how what I seek is peers that I have relationships with that work at other companies to say, Hey, um, I am um, having this issue or I am looking at this technology or, you know, whatever it is uh, this new thing and perhaps they have experience with it and to pick their brains um yeah. and so on and so forth and you know there's organizations like the CMO club and the CMO council and things like that where you can do peer to peer networking and so i think that's invaluable and even you know even if you're at a, at a practitioner level is finding other people who do your job in other companies is super super helpful um and you know and and mentors you can find them in different ways i mean i think that i i have the pleasure of being an aunt to a lot of really strong women and i say a lot because it seems like my family's only able to produce girls i'm one of three girls and there's a lot of girls um and uh, I feel like I have become mentors to them um, in their careers as they're, you know, new in their careers and, and so on and so forth. So it can be a relative, it could be a neighbor, it could be, um, you know, you know, there's just so many pools to fish in, right? And so, um, you know, it's not just always the obvious places, I guess, is, is my point.
0: Yeah. What I did for myself when I became, you know, started, I started to manage June of 2007, and it was my first time ever being CEO in the other company that I started in 1999. That wasn't my role, one of the co-founders, but um, was more focused on go-to-market, business development, marketing, alliances, those things. So now it's my first time as CEO and building a company from scratch, and I was very fortunate that one of the clients of ours that we were doing work with, a company called Vistage International, we were doing there. Eloquent implementation and their lead scoring and nurturing all the traditional stuff that that we're doing around lead management. I said, um, you guys have an interesting business. Can you tell me more about it? And they said, yeah, we're a, a peer group organization for leaders. And I said, is that something that I would benefit from? And they go, well, you're too small right now as a company. It was okay. kind of like, go get the broom of the Wicked Witch and, and come <laughs> back. And so, uh, What they said to me basically is like, you're so busy building the business in these very early stages. You don't have time to commit to a program like this. But I sure knew Susan when I was ready and I joined and I was with that organization for seven years and it taught me how to be a CEO. And the way that it taught me how to be a CEO was just, as you said, sitting in a room full of my peers, learning from one another what to do, what not to do. How to overcome challenges, uh, and it was invaluable. And and part of that program was having a coach. Julie Rangan was my coach. Still very close friends with her, and I and I'll call her uh, yeah. whenever I need to. But it was so helpful. And I, I, you know, to everybody listening, I I think I say this on almost every episode. You know, if you're if you're out on a walk, continue your walk. Just make a mental note. Get back to LinkedIn and look up Susan. She she has a l- super long name, but just goes by her last name, Susan Bierman, um, with just like it sounds, but with two ends, B E E R M A N N, and add Susan to your network, as I say the others. I mean, everyone on this program is on this program for a reason to help, inform, and inspire, and be a resource to one another. And and Susan's been part of our marketing leadership exchange at Demand Gen, and I really encourage you to connect with her because she may have a personal challenge or opportunity that you want to run by her. So um, thank you, Susan, for always making yourself available to do that. Uh, What would you say to your peers in terms of this private equity experience that you're going through? So you've been head of private companies, public companies, and now a PE-backed company. Is it different?
1: It is. Um, It is different. It's different in subtle ways. But I would say one of the differences is, I mean, every board is very financial uh, and metrics oriented, but it's like that on steroids, right? Um, these These are investors, right? These aren't necessarily, you know, like at Taleo, we have a lot of our board members who had operate, you know, operational experience. Like we had an ex CFO, we had an ex CIO, we had an ex, or well, not ex, but um, CISO. Uh, okay. uh, and, and, and then people with mortgage industry background, cause that was the industry we served. When you are owned by PE, you have all investors who are super, super numbers oriented and they're just, it, it's all numbers. And so, um, there's not a lot of talk about brand or you know you know the softer side of marketing it's all about you know what is marketing's contribution to revenue and to bookings and to um, you know the pipeline and it's a lot of conversations about pipeline and in-depth conversations and so I have had to learn to really really, bone up before any board meeting and really know my numbers backwards and forwards because they will triangulate uh, one little number on page 93 of the PowerPoint deck and uh, tie it to page four. And, and you have to be willing and able to on the fly, you know, hang with these guys. And so that's, that's one of the differences. Um, And I think a PE firm too, is um, they're super focused on what's the next exit, and so any investment decision, uh, of course, is focused on growth, uh, mm-hmm. but it's also focused on how it will help the valuation of the company, and so that's been a shift as well. So just just kind of knowing that if you if you end up working for a PE firm or a PE you know backed firm, that's going to be In my experience, which is you know somewhat limited, um, is going to be a a shift that you're going to need to make. And so, you know, and I've just learned in board meetings. In fact, (laughs) one of one of the the counsels that my CEO gave to me as I was you know preparing for my first, second, third, I think I'm four board meetings in now, is um, you know no no hyperbole. He goes, your predecessor would come in and brag about how great his marketing metrics were. And he goes, he goes by the end, he was like handing out cigars, you know, he was like, so patting himself on the back. And so the counsel was, you know, you just walk in and very measured, no emotion. You tell him the facts and that's what's respected versus like, you know, high five out of boy marketing's great. Um, you know, which there's a time and place for that for sure. Um, but it's not in the boardroom necessarily. So you, so you need to sort of temper it a bit, which is, you know, not, not my natural tendency. I'm very enthusiastic. I get excited about my stuff and I, you know, I, I, I want to, you know, not necessarily brag, but I, but I get excited about it. And I've had to, to just, just the facts and, um, and, and so far so good.
0: Great advice. And almost contrary to what some of the times I'll share, which is I always feel that marketing is bad at marketing, marketing, Yeah. And what I mean by that is in organizations, we're always so busy in marketing that we don't necessarily do a great job of explaining what marketing has done and the impact of those things because we're on to the next thing. Um, I was telling Tiffany, who runs marketing for us, and she wrote an email, I think it was yesterday. And it feels like days ago now because it's a busy week, but it was the best email I've ever seen her write in terms of an out. Put of the summary of a program that was run. It was just crisp. It was all the details. It was the timeline. It was a summary. It was links to all the relevant information and the and the impact stuff. And it was just very crisp. And it wasn't a really long narrative email. To your point, there wasn't a lot of hyperbole. It was this is the program launch and all the other details of it and the impact that it it's been in it. And it was very very good email. I think it's hard to write effective emails. Um, it is. It is not a great form of communication, and many people use it in different ways. That's great advice.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the best way to market marketing to the board is by showing your contribution to to the numbers. Um, you know, that's that's just that's what they want to hear, and that's what resonates. So. Yeah. So, so bearing that in mind now internally, you know, to other audiences, yeah, you can, you can have some more hyperbole and certainly you want to, in order to um, give your team recognition and to motivate them and to acknowledge their contributions as well. So that's when I'm not saying it's never appropriate because it certainly is um, just the boardroom probably isn't the place for that.
0: Yeah, no, that's great advice. Yeah. Um, what are you still? You were, none of us that are high achievers ever feel that we're at the top of our game. We're always working and striving to the next thing. What are you working on? What's What's Susan focused on in terms of skill sets or expertise that you're developing?
1: Well, I th- think you know two things. One is doing more things like this, right? And and just you know getting out of my um, internal box and 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 um, I guess you know. Um, uh, doing things like this and speaking as well as, um, you know, just recently joined the Forbes council. So in process of publishing my first article with Forbes, uh, so that's, that's one thing, um, you know, certainly just really getting better established in my company, um, and, and growing this business is, is probably job one. Um, you know, I, I, it felt like it was such a tremendous opportunity, um, to, to grow this company. And, you know, we're about 300 million now. And I, you know, one of the the reasons why I was attractive to them is, you know, I have a track record of, of high growth of, of sized companies. So, um, so that's certainly a priority and, um, you know, just really establishing myself, uh, uh in that company. And then I'm always looking ahead to what's next. Right. And, um, I don't want to be a CEO uh, like you. Uh, that's not uh, my aspiration. Um, my aspiration um, is to get on some boards, and so okay. I've been investing over the past year in getting getting myself ready for that, and okay. you know, developing relationships with other, in my case, female board members, um, joining an organization that helps female. Um, leaders uh, make that transition to boards, and, and um, it's, a, it's a whole different way of thinking and, and selling yourself than a, a traditional resume or interview. So, so um, I'm looking forward to, and I'm not really ready to be on a board today. Just I don't have the time because I'm, you know, really committed to to my current role. Um, but it's definitely, I'm, I'm doing the groundwork now so that when I do have the time, I'm ready.
0: Yeah, I I think that's great. There's there's some really great advice in there. First of all, you're talking about personal branding and and creating content that you can share. And we all do get so busy that we don't do that. Um, you know, for me, I started the podcast four years ago, and it was around holiday time when I said I want to start reaching other people than directly with our clients. I love the client work and I love the client engagement but I felt like there's so many recipes and so many relationships that I've developed now over the years that I want to bring these conversations to a broader audience. And to your point, like I knew nothing about podcasting. I didn't know what microphone to buy or what mixer to get or what software to use or, and all that. And, and I like when we started today, you're like, wow, look at your setup there. And it's like, I can do this in my sleep now. And
1: quite impressive. Thank For those you. of you listening, his setup is very
0: impressive. I just sent Megan Eisenberg a two-page Microsoft Word document listing all of my audio hardware and video hardware because she had the same reaction. She's like, I want to set this up for my CEO. What do you use? So I'm like, you know what? That's like the third time I've gotten this question. So I'll just make a document of all the stuff with all the Amazon links.
1: I read that. I read that too. And I, um, in fact, I ordered the headset, but then I wanted a wireless one. So I returned. Ah, I've got a wireless one coming. Too many cords in my office right now.
0: Not not enough, not enough. Yeah. You you wireless is really good for some stuff, but unfortunately, like my hat he- my headset is wired because of particular software that I'm using. It just needs to be wired. Anyway, I digress. But like you're always learning new stuff. And then a few months ago, well, we launched DemandGen TV a month ago. If you guys haven't checked it out, it's just the fastest way to get to our YouTube channel is demandgen.tv. dot TV. Uh, and I will take you there. I knew nothing about YouTube video editing, uh, and and around the content strategy. I had to learn a tremendous amount of on software and technology for doing it. But through those two parts of the journey, Susan, from a personal standpoint, like you know, I love creating content. I love creating stuff. Period in life. That's why I started in software development. But I think what you're doing and and others, everyone who joins me in the program, I really applaud you because. You have such great recipes and lessons to share with people. And by taking the time to share them, it's personally rewarding, but also you're going to inspire someone. And I just, I want to thank all of you guys on LinkedIn and encourage you to do it. When you guys write me notes and say, oh, I just listened to the podcast with Michelle Killebrew or someone just mentioned about the one with Henry Shook, who's built a, you know, $14 billion company. I love hearing from you guys and knowing that the content, you know, my time with Susan and I together is helpful. To you. And as I said, you know, feel free to reach out to Susan, make her part of your network. We're all here, you know, none of us are smarter than all of us, as I often like to say. So it's great to have um, a network. And we're all learning new things. The world is rapidly changing, even as leaders. We're now in the era of a virtual workforce. Now dimension's always been virtual since the very beginning. Um, so we didn't have anything to really adapt to that way or adapt to. Um, what about for you? Let's let's hit that before we wrap up. You know, with your team being virtual. How has that been different for you in your career, if at all, leading and managing, uh, and or being the conductor, as you said, to that team, Uh now virtually versus in office?
1: Well, it's it's really different. Um, Our office is for the most part, you know, people in the office, right? And we have multiple. Locations and we're global, so we have international offices, etc. But the majority of, you know, my marketing team anyway, and the majority of the executive team is in the Lake Oswego, Oregon office, and so um, we're used to having that, you know, day-to-day interaction, whether it's, you know, formal within meetings or one-on-ones or just the casual drive-bys or the hallway conversations, and so. I think that we've been really, really good at picking up the established meetings. And if anything, we're meeting more um, than, than perhaps um, we did in the office. I know that I am because I, I felt like when I was in the office, I was... In a lot of meetings with the executive team, and not necessarily with my team. And now I meet with my team more because I, I need to stay connected. Um, I think we're using IM and video much more actively. I mean, we were not a big video company. I don't know why, but now, you know, it, it's considered rude if you don't turn on your camera for a meeting. And so I feel like I'm I'm seeing everybody, and it's great. It's it's actually great for the employees who were the few that were working remotely because if you have, say you're calling into a meeting and there's 12 people in a conference room and you're the one person on the phone, that's very challenging for that person because you kind of forget when you're in the room that they're there and it's hard for them to chime in and insert themselves in the conversation. So, you know, one of our executives who's always worked remotely, she said she loves it because she's on an even playing field now. Mm-hmm. Right. You have the Hollywood squares and you see everyone's face and she's on the even footing with those of us who are traditionally in the conference room together. Um, I think what I'm missing is that casual, um, drive-bys. And so I have to be very intentional. And so I've been, in fact, just almost wrapped it up this week. I've just done a whole round of skip level interviews where I've had one-on-ones with everybody on my team. And, um, it's been energizing for me just to have that one-on-one time, you know, certainly I see them in group meetings or, you know, I have a monthly marketing all hands and all that good stuff, but there's nothing like having a one-on-one conversation and just checking in with people. Like, how are you doing and how can I support you during this time, et cetera. And so being, being way more intentional about that um, is really important. And so we we have to, we have to remember that. And what was interesting is, you know, when people get a meeting request from me, because they, they they often look at the title, right? And they're like, Oh, why does she want to meet with me? And they'll, they'll run to their boss and say, uh, everything okay? Like, am I in trouble? And I'm like, <laughs> No. <laughs> I just want to check in, and see how you are. And so so you have to get to that initial thing. And so I, you know, start the meetings with like hey, I have no agenda with this and I certainly don't have a hidden agenda. This is really just me checking in with you and giving you a few minutes and we can talk about the weather or we can talk about your latest project or an issue you're having. I don't care. I don't have have an agenda. I just want to talk to you and I just want to have some one-on-one time with you to make sure you're doing okay. And so as leaders, I think, you know, we we have to remember to make time for that um, because I, I think everyone... Once I've completed these, I felt really great afterwards, and I think that they really have felt great too so
0: that's great and they need it they, they, you know it gets it gets pretty lonely I think for people working out of their homes day to day and and I also think too you brought up the the webcams that there is a bit of Zoom fatigue that can happen. And so it's important sure. as as leaders to recognize that maybe there's a particular day of the week or certain meetings when you can be off air and give people a break, especially for the introverts where it's extremely physically draining, uh, mentally draining, yeah. physically draining for them to be on air all the time. So be sensitive to that. Well, I love seeing you. Unfortunately, everybody can't, but Susan and I are on video as well as on audio. Maybe one day we'll move the podcast into a, uh, video cast and do that. But for right now, it's just audio. But that's why we have Demandian TV. Thank you so much for coming on and taking time out of your week to share some of your career lessons um, with everybody. Again, if you haven't already connected with Susan, don't forget to do that. Susan Bierman, Bier, M-A-N-N. And I'd love to hear from you guys too. I really, like I said, love hearing from you, which episodes are are inspiring you, giving you good direction, and, and what else you'd like to hear on the program, because I'm here for you guys to inspire And educate you on around the methods and technologies for driving growth. I've got a few more folks coming on the program, Uh, some authors lined up of just some books that I really, really like that I always think it's nice to take a break, Um, but love having folks like Susan and other marketing leaders on the program. So Susan, thank you so much for joining. Thank
1: you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to see you and I appreciate you inviting me to be a part of your program.
0: Well, let's have that glass of wine. We'll talk about that off the air, but for now, That's going to do it for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high performance marketing.